in vivo qualitative data analysis software empowers researchers around the world to discover rich insights within their qualitative data. This podcast gives you unique insights into the methods, the processes, and the passions of researchers. Welcome to the InVivo podcast, Between the Data. Well, welcome to QSR's podcast, Between the Data. I'm Stacey Penna, QSR's Community Director, and my guest today is Jim Cockle, contract researcher in the Faculty of Nursing at the University of Alberta. Uh, Jim's work has focused on qualitative research, and his fieldwork experience is across Alberta, Canada, involving healthcare ethnography, qualitative interviewing, photo voice, digital storytelling, and focus groups. For today's podcast, we'll be focusing on his work with photo voice. So thanks, Jim, for joining me. And first off, I just want to ask you, what is photo voice? So Photo Voice is a um, community-based participation research uh, modality, which um, it arose sort of in the mid-1990s. Uh, two American researchers developed it, uh, Carolyn Wang and Marianne Burris, and they, uh, they developed it as a way of um, documenting the experiences of marginalized communities uh, or people who, you know, didn't otherwise have uh, have a have a research voice, and uh, I believe their first target community was actually um, r- women in uh, rural China in Yunnan province. Uh, and um, from there, uh, the, the you know the, that was sort of the beginning of the method, and then it's since become I think a fairly mainstream. A research method in you know amongst uh, academics and NGOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious, how did you uh, get interested in photo voice? So um, it's something actually um, my uh, the professor in nursing that I've been working with most directly over the years, Dr. Olive Young. Uh, I, she first came across it, and um, because Olive's work has been primarily with um, in the field of preceptorship. So nursing students going out and doing rotations in in hospitals, um, she was very interested in digging into the experiences, the firsthand experiences of that community. And just because we've been dealing with rural settings and also with students, uh, right away, you know, you've got a you've got a target population that isn't necessarily going to have much of a voice of their own. So um, all have felt that that modality, you know, that uh, participant action. Uh, research modality would be suitable for that particular group. Mm-hmm. And so is that, that you just sort of explain why you use photo voice in your research? Yeah. So going more into the methods uh, in regards to photo voice, so how do you tend to work with your participants um, in your studies when you use photo voice? Well, and that's really evolved over the years. Um, and particularly, you know, when uh, when you think back to the mid-90s when photo voice first arose, that was a much different world, uh, particularly as regards uh, the the options that were available then for doing anything online. Uh, it, was a, it was pretty much just getting started back then. Um, so when we first started doing photo voice, we did it in a pretty traditional manner, which is to say we, we gave our participants cameras. Um, we gave them digital cameras, uh, but uh, uh, we basically did it um, we assigned them, you know, we gave them a directive or uh, an invitation, I should say, to go out and document their day-to-day experiences uh, taking pictures. 
And then we tried to get everybody together in a focus group kind of setting to discuss those pictures and sort of elicit a narrative, you know, based on the images and then put together a data set from that. Um, now, that being said, uh, of course, we have many more options nowadays in terms of, uh, you know, sort of social media style platforms that we can use online to get a much larger community together and um, have a discussion, not just, uh, you know, in a group setting, but also an online forum. Um, we've been using, lately in the last couple of years, we've been using an online platform called VoiceThread. VoiceThreads? VoiceThread. And uh, that has been really, really helpful uh, particularly with our research cohort, because there's students who are spread all across rural Alberta, and uh, it's very difficult to assemble a group like that to have, have a discussion all at the same time in one place. So uh, that particular online forum, that platform has been extremely useful for us. So any other kind of tools that you found helpful? Well, um, certainly VoiceThread, I think, has been key for us in carrying out the data collection and the discussion part of the research. Uh, and we've also, in the last few years, we've hybridized photo voice a little bit with digital storytelling. Sort of, so the end product really is more the digital story. And, and uh, I can describe that a little bit for you mm -hmm. yeah. uh, momentarily. But uh, of course, the other important uh, tool in the analysis has been in vivo, which I've been using all along. And uh, I haven't, I can't say that I've used the photograph, uh, the, the image uh, element of that as much, but that is something that I'm definitely interested in exploring more uh, as we do more of this work. Yeah, I, um, I actually used that for my own dissertation and it was quite helpful um, to use it with the, the photos and, and sort of fun. So any ethical considerations when you're using photo voice? Well, of course. And I mean, anytime you're dealing with visual data, as opposed to, say, just, uh, you know, interviews, uh, you've got a whole different uh, ethical dimension because of the confidentiality issues. You know, you've got participants who may be taking pictures of each other or themselves or the locations where they are. And right away, there's just no way to guarantee uh, that somebody's identity isn't going to be revealed. And, you know, for the most part, with our participants, it's not a huge concern because they're not necessarily ethically compromising situations. But um, I know that in the past, we've had to be careful. We've had situations where, you know, maybe people took pictures in a hospital of, uh, you know, maybe they, they decorated a room for a birthday party or something and used, uh, you know, used some hospital equipment, uh, you know, urinals and things like that. And, you know, things that an administrator might take a look at and say, well, I didn't authorize that. And then, mm -hmm. and then you've got a question, uh, you know, an ethical question, are we actually empowering our participants or are we, are we exposing them to further um, administrative surveillance and thereby disempowering them? So that to me is probably the signature ethical quandary of photo voice. Uh, how do you, how do you use this method to truly empower people and not, and not necessarily expose them to, uh, you know, censure or uh, punishment or, you know, some, something that might come about as a result of these uh, breaches of confidentiality that may occur. Yeah, so when I was doing some reading on photo voice, um, one author talked about the importance of talking about the pictures that uh, participants are taking, but also the pictures that they didn't take because of, you know, some of like, I think some of the reasons you just mentioned, or um, do you have, find that too in your research that you ask people about what they, what they might have taken? 
Um, I don't know that it's come up in exactly that way. Mm -hmm. um, certainly the advantage of you know, using digital, having everything in a digital medium now, is that people can be self-censoring to a degree mm. that they weren't. Mm -hmm. When Photo Voice first arose, of course, it was um, people would take pictures and then deliver their rolls of film to the researchers, mm -hmm. and then the researchers would develop it. And then you'd have to have a, you know, a big uh, process of kind of weeding out images that might be potentially compromising. So that I think that whole issue has been streamlined to a large degree. Mm -hmm. But uh, that being said, we've certainly, I think when we've come to the publishing phase, we've had some kind of long and detailed discussions about what images do we perhaps um, not censor, but mm -hmm. redact mm -hmm. on behalf of our participants, just so that we aren't necessarily putting people in, uh, in an ethically compromising position. So yeah, it's, I don't think there are any easy answers there, but certainly it's become it's become easier at least to grasp the problem than it might have been in the early days of photo voice. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks. Uh, so, so you can, can you talk a little bit about your, how you analyze the, the photo voice data? Sure. And actually this is, um, this is always an interesting question when we're on the, when we're talking about participant based research, participant action research, because ideally, you know, you have the participants involved in all stages of, a project, so not just the data collection, but also the analysis and the dissemination, and that's actually um, that's where the hybridization with digital storytelling has really come into play. Because not only now are we are we asking participants to collect data, but we're also asking them to have an active part in making meaning out of that data. So, for instance, you know when they've when they've uploaded their photos to VoiceThread. Um, which is a platform that, you know, looks and feels a little bit like Facebook in the way that you can organize images and narrative and whatnot. Um, by doing that, they actually are taking part in the analysis because they are, you know, in a sense, they're coding their own data and they are establishing some, some themes that we can then build on when we start to go through and build our own code book. So that really is the first part of the analysis phase. It starts with the participants. They sort of broadly establish some themes, you know, from uh, from digital storytelling, uh, which we then start to build a code book from. Um, and then, of course, the the other part of that is uh, when we start to do our own substantive coding. That's where NVivo comes in. You know, we will we will upload. Um, as much media as we can uh, into the program. And then um, personally, I find uh, I, I very much like the text searching feature. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're, we're able to create things like a word cloud and that that's also a nice little shortcut to just kind of get a code book happening. Um, so yeah, that, that particular program has been uh, vital, I think, in just uh, getting our own analysis uh, mobilized. Great, thank you. We'll take a quick break from the podcast to tell you where you can learn more about the research Jim and his team is conducting with PhotoVoice. Please visit the University of Alberta's website and go to the Faculty of Nursing, then Research Units, and Rural Preceptorships. There's a link to their PhotoVoice gallery and publications. Um, so I'm now I want to uh, move more into uh, talking about the results uh, you find you get with uh, with using photo voice. So, you know, how do you find it enhances your findings and your results? So I think the one really 
crucial thing about photo voice, and again, I'm, I'm going to kind of lump digital storytelling in here too, mm -hmm. because I kind of think of two as there, there are two aspects of the same process now. But uh, the main thing is that we're not just getting one set of output. We're not just getting academic output out of this process. In a way, it's kind of a three-pronged output because we're getting our scholarly findings, which we can then, you know, um, present at conferences and, and in uh, scholarly journals, but also we are getting output that serves to, serves an advocacy purpose because our participants are creating these, uh, in some cases, really quite compelling and beautiful stories, you know, these, these pieces that we can then post online or use, uh, you know, to advocate for rural placements for rural health care, you know, because this is, uh, there's a, there are big shortages now in rural sites. Um, so it's been, it's been a hugely helpful advocacy piece. And then I think the third thing is for the participants themselves, because it is participant action, it really nicely complements their activities that they do in their healthcare rotations, because, you know, preceptorship is all about experiential learning. It's about the idea of getting out and uh, engaging in the practice of healthcare. And then at the same time, uh, when they're doing this data collection and and having to reflect on that, that really complements the preceptorship process because you know data collection is also a kind of experiential learning. So really, we've got you know we've got benefits for the knowledge base, the scholarly knowledge base. We've got a we've got an advocacy piece that's a benefit, and then we've also got um, a learning benefit for our participants. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that the three prong approach to to the results. That's that's neat. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, compared to any other kind of research work that I've done in my career, I can't think of any other method that is, you know, given this much, yielded this much output for the, you know, for the amount of input that we've had to, uh, that we've had to put in. So based on what you just described, it sounds like um, next I wanted to ask about how photo voice could impact policy and practices. So it sounds like with the that three-prong approach, it does. Yeah, um, I mean, the... the, the Trying to isolate, you know, policy changes or, or trying to say definitively that this or that policy change came about as a result of research is always going to be difficult. I think even, you know, before photo voice, it's, it's hard to say, you know, that in this or that policy came about as a direct, direct result of some policymaker, you know, maybe seeing a photo voice book and, and changing, changing their, their mind about something. But I think, I think just in terms of creating visibility uh, that yeah, I think it does move the needle a little bit in terms of reaching people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm, I've come to believe that, you know, wherever there are stories to be told, especially kind of compelling stories, there can be advocacy. So um, I don't think I can point to any one specific policy change that's come about, but I do know that we are able to reach policymakers uh, in a much more kind of compelling way than we would have been able to by just say uh you know publishing scholarly articles so i think i think it is moving the needle if if you know if not in ways that we can discernibly say you know this this came about uh directly as a result yeah and especially with the the digital storytelling because i saw some of um your publishing a uh, publish uh the different uh, i believe they're the digital stories that you had on your website so yeah. giving somebody something like that where you can see the visual and, and talk a little bit about it, um, see, it would to me would be much more impactful than, you know, scholarly journals are great, but <laughs> it's much more powerful when you see it in that, I think, uh, avenue. 
Sure. And and I should mention also, I mean, we're not just trying to reach policymakers, but we're also trying to reach students and educators mm-hmm. because these are also people who have a big impact on the world of rural health care. And I mean, the more the more students we can get interested in perhaps considering careers in rural health care or educators who maybe will put a little more emphasis on it, you know, in, in their curricula, you know, for nursing or, or any other healthcare professions, I think uh, that also has a big impact. Mm-hmm. Great, thanks. And just um, with uh, sort of coming to a discussion session uh, section, um, what have you learned from using photo voice that you might want to tell uh, a researcher who's just starting to use this um, this method? Sure. Well, I think I've learned a lot about facilitating, um, particularly in this new, this brave new world of online everything. <laughs> um, I think it's it's certainly just the process of doing it and, and doing it repeatedly has, uh, I've learned a few, uh, I guess, tricks <laughs> about how to elicit information from people. And particularly, you know, when we do, when we have our discussions and, you know, an interesting image comes up, uh, that's, it's an opportunity to, you know, pull a story out of somebody that uh, maybe even they they didn't realize they had to tell, but uh, that's, I think that's one thing that's helped me grow a little bit as a researcher is just in, you know, eliciting interesting details out of people. And of course, having photographs is a great way to do that as, um, as the originators of the, of the uh, method knew way back when. Um, I think the other skills that I've picked up in doing this project, of course, uh, just has to do with um, learning to use various online tools like voice threads. Um, and in Vivo, of course, I've, I've become much more conversant with that software in the process of doing this. So it's, yeah, I mean, it certainly benefited me personally in terms of my, uh, my horizons as a researcher. But uh, I think, I mean, I think the benefits to the participants too are uh, probably the, the signature outcome that I, I feel most positive about. Great, thanks. Um, how about the any challenges that you have to uh, look out for or consider? Sure, um, and I think I alluded earlier to some of the ethical mm-hmm. challenges. I think that's certainly one category of issues that have arisen. And um, yeah, I think just having some sensitivity to power relationships that people may be in uh, when they're conducting this research. Those are some of the biggest issues to arise, particularly when you're dealing with students, um, but also when you're dealing with healthcare staff in a hospital. Of course, you know they have oversight, they have um, they have responsibilities, and they have certain vulnerabilities that need to be taken into account. So every time we come around to another research cycle, and we're looking at you know our cohort and saying, well, what can we do to you know, guarantee that, uh, you know, these people are going to have a positive experience and not put them in, not put them in the way of any, uh, any harmful outcomes. Um, that, that is certainly something that, a moment for us to pause and really uh, give that some serious thought. So that's one category of challenges. And I think the other challenges just have to do with logistics. Um, and again, particularly when you're dealing with the participant cohort that's spread across a wide geographical area, uh, just trying to get them all coordinated, um, kind of on the same page, and 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 actually communicating with another. That that certainly has been a challenge historically, and uh, again, I think our discovery of that VoiceThread platform really helped us um, address that. But uh, still, I, th- I mean, with any kind of participant-based research, you're going to have logistical issues just built in from the <laughs> to the very concept. Mm-hmm. 
um, yeah, that that does it definitely uh, puts a different level or di more challenge to it. Um, but like you said, it can be very rewarding. So now I just want to talk sort of about the the literature and you know, are there certain um, authors that you tend to cite when you're writing about um, photo voice? There's always generally a couple or that they're always needed um, when you're uh, getting into a, a methodology and, and learning more about it. Sure, sure. And I think I, I would point anybody to sort of the, the foundational text on photo voice, which is the article by Carolyn Wang and Marianne Burris, which is called uh, Photo Voice Concept, Methodology, and Use for Participatory Needs Assessment. It's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> um, that, that came out in Health, Education, and Behavior back in 1997. So already uh, 23 years ago, it's hard to yeah. believe. Wow, yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That, uh, that's one that I just routinely cite in any photo voice article that we do because, uh, of course, not everybody knows what photo voice is. And that, yeah, I think a lot of the basics are certainly covered in that article. Um, they did do a second article, and I'm not, uh, it's not in front of me right now, but I believe it's called Flint Photo Voice Ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came out a few years later, and that specifically deals with some of those ethical pitfalls that we were talking about, uh, particularly surrounding, you know, power relationships and uh, confidentiality. So um, I don't quite remember the year that that came out of the publication, but that's that's one that would be worth searching. And then in more recent history, um, there are two very good books that came out, not specifically on voter voice, but just on participatory research and multimedia. Um, and the, the authors are Gubrium and Harper, uh, and I don't know their first names, <laughs> but okay. uh, the, the two books are in, two, in 2013, they put out a book called Participatory Visual and Digital Methods, um, and that's from Left Coast Press mm -hmm. in Walnut Creek. Uh, and then in 2015, uh, with the third author, Otanias, uh, they put out a book called Participatory Visual and Digital Research in Action. Uh, and also from Left Coast Press. And those books are full of, uh, they're, they're both um, compilations actually, but they're full of really useful kind of primer essays on uh, not just photo voice, but also things like digital storytelling, things like um, photo elicitation, uh, things like participatory video, which uh, we haven't really gotten into, but uh, of course, all of these all of these different modalities are to some degree becoming interwoven, interrelated, mm -hmm. because uh, we have so much more capacity to do that now. Uh, now that we've got all these tools online. Yep. No, that that's helpful. And um, I just thought of this that maybe can you tell people where they can find uh, your research. Certainly. Um, now, I don't know that I, I want to rattle off our whole website because it's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> but if, if you were to go to the uh, University of Alberta Faculty of Nursing webpage uh, and just look for research units, and uh, our website will be under uh, rural preceptorship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And on that site, maybe I don't know if you can link it to your podcast, but uh, mm -hmm. that's that. Yeah. That page has a number of, uh, it has all our digital stories and a number of our uh, publications and whatnot. So uh, useful little resource resource there for anybody who's interested in learning more about um, rural preceptorship and rural nursing. You know, any gaps in the literature you can help people with? You know, I think um, there is, we're just starting now to 
look at ways to hybridize these different modalities. And I think that the two books that I mentioned go a long way towards um, kind of giving ideas on how to do that. I think I, I'm still in the, in the middle of working on, I should say, I've been working on a process article now for about the last five years. <laughs> and the, it's a long and process. <laughs> well, and the reason, it, the reason it takes so long is because the process keeps changing <laughs> and, and the, the tools available keep changing. So I think when I first started thinking about process, you know, the digital storytelling wasn't really a thing yet. It was just, it was just becoming popular. Now that that's become so integral to our our whole research design. I'm sort of in the in the middle of rethinking the whole the whole process now. But um, if there's anything to be really detailed to be laid out in in the knowledge base next, it's just ways to hybridize photo voice with things like digital storytelling, maybe with uh, you know with other ways of disseminating this research because. Um, when photo voice started, of course, really the only ways to disseminate was either publish a book, mm-hmm. like a like a like a picture album, like a coffee table book, or or to do an exhibition somewhere in a gallery. Um, and both of those things we've done, but of course now we have so many more options in terms of uh, disseminating the research online, and um, with you know the growth of social media, I think there are so many more possibilities and, and not to be sort of glibly positive about social media because <laughs> there are a lot of uh, uh, less less positive aspects to it. But I think at its best, it's a way for people to tell stories for people who might not otherwise have that capacity, have that have that power. Um, it is empowering in that way. And I think I think to maybe draw the link between these these participatory research modalities, you know, things like digital storytelling, things like photo voice, and then explore maybe how we can use social media in a way that really uh, gets those stories out to a wider audience and, you know, uses uses social media to its full potential. I think that is an area that's just, that's just now starting to be um, available for exploration. It's certainly something that I'd like to write more about. And uh, yeah, I would say, uh, I would hope to see some some more uh, interesting literature about that in the coming years. Yeah, that's interesting. That makes makes a lot of sense. Um, and I agree with you. With social media, that's when when it, that's when it's at its finest, right? You're learning something and <laughs> sharing. Yeah. So it's good. Um, so I just really want to thank you today. Um, it's been great talking to you and learning more about photo voice. Um, I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of this. Uh, so thank you for joining the podcast between the data. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for Between the Data. If you enjoyed this podcast and want us to update you on upcoming Invivo community events and podcasts, please email me, Stacy Penna, at s.penna, P-E-N-N-A, at qsrinternational.com.